Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at SpartanForge.ai. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 127, and on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Matt Taggett of Rec Broadheads. Matt resides in Michigan, where he and his father started Rec Broadheads, and being that we are in June, I know some of us are already prepping for the upcoming season when it comes to our gear and what we plan on bringing into the woods this coming fall. That is why we have Matt explain to us what his broadheads have to offer and see if they would be the great choice for you. In the second half of this episode, we get into what type of properties Matt hunts, his setups, and a whole lot more. 
Thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy today's episode and antler up. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We're joined on the other line today by Matt Taggett from Rec Broadheads. Matt, how you doing tonight? And thanks for coming on, man. Good, man. Appreciate you having me on here. How you guys doing? Good. We're uh, excited. It's one more day of closer to uh, Summer Velvet and getting the Velvet <laughs> Fest going and shooting our bows, dude. That's right. The countdown begins. Oh, man. It's for us here in PA. It's, well, most like most of the state, the statewide's October, uh, it's like second. That first week. That first weekend. the first Saturday in October is. Yeah, and then you got the Pittsburgh and Philadelphia counties. They, they open two weeks before we do. So, uh, those, oh, cool. yeah, those guys have the opportunity to get after it a little bit earlier than us. But, man, we're chomping at the bit to, to get going here. Yeah, yeah, we're getting excited on our end, too. It's uh, we're, we're under three months out from our first trip, so it's, uh, it's coming quick, and it'll be here before we know it. Nice. Where's the first trip for you guys this year? Uh, North Dakota. This will be our seventh year heading out there. I think it opens September 2nd okay. on a Friday. Oh, it's Friday at noon, so we'll be, uh, we'll be in the tree, and hopefully we have some luck. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I, I feel like every year, total archery challenges. I, we talked about this on the podcast before. It kind of just creeps up on you. You have turkey season beforehand, and you're trying to get ready for that. And, uh, you know, I know I should have probably put a lot more groundwork into some of our hunting spots for whitetail. But then, you know, once tax over, just kind of time to rev up. Like you were saying, it's just go time. I Bought a whole big pack of batteries today <laughs> uh, to put get my ca- trail cams ready, and it's go time. Oh, yeah, it seems like it comes so quick every year, and there's there's such a, a long to do list of things that you want to you know accomplish, and it, it kind of slips the summer slips away from you, and before you know it, it's uh, it's time to go. So time to start thinking about those things now. Absolutely. Well, we'll let's uh, put in our back pocket that North Dakota thing because this will be uh, kind of going back to back weeks now. A little bit about North Dakota, so we'll put that in the back pocket. So, Matt, you are—you uh, could correct me too if I'm wrong—the vice president of Rec Broadheads, and then uh, obviously I, I've, I've shot them in the past. Really enjoy them. I really am excited to to run them as this year as well and try the FX4 this upcoming se- season. But man, like really quick, like give the quick lowdown, give like a baseball card summary of a little bit of who you are and, and uh, Rec Broadheads. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a very young company actually. Um, the design all came to concept in 2018. That's when we went to work on everything. Um, we first launched in 2020 uh, to factory only online orders, and uh, that was right at the beginning of this whole uh, COVID pandemic. So that kind of uh, shut down our ability to get to a lot of these trade shows and really get our product out to the people and let you know people figure out who we were. So we relied heavily on social media and things like that. Um, this past year, uh, well, I guess 2021, we launched um, availability to retail stores. We started taking some, uh, you know, we had so many pro shops coming to us that had heard of our broadheads and wanted to bring them in. So, so we switched everything over from these little uh, um, cardboard boxes we had to clamshells. And uh, this year, we've pretty much doubled up our, uh, our retail stores and, uh, we're heading that direction and we're really just bulking up and moving forward with things. Um, it's an all American made product. We're a family owned company. It's my dad and I own the company and, uh, that's really, it's, it's just continuing to grow and we're, we're having a lot of fun with it. I love to hear that American made and you and your dad just, I mean, can't get any better than that. <laughs> now, how did you guys feel? I mean, with, going into a new product in the hunting industry which which i think archery is really tough just because mm-hmm. there's those several of those brands that really established and been there for a long time and kind of going into the broadhead uh game you kind of be in 2018 2020 l- launching the product you know how to go through that process of kind of you know being I wouldn't say late to the game, but relatively newer with uh, all these other products available that people have been using. Yeah, it it was definitely um, a challenge and still is a challenge, you know, getting your name out there, especially in the broadhead category. Um, You know, I I might be a little biased to this, but I don't have to argue that the broadhead um, uh, sector is probably more cutthroat than any any, uh, area of the archery industry. There's uh, for one, there's so many broadheads out there and, uh, you know, there's, there's five or six giants that kind of gobble up the majority of the, uh, the, uh, customers and revenue out there. Um, you know, but we, we did see an opportunity and we did see a space to where we could fix some of the issues that we had come across, especially in the, uh, expandable broadhead. You know, that was, uh, one of our, our 
that was really the first product that we started on. You know, we had shot a lot of the other expandables in the past, and we had a lot of luck with some of them and, and not so much luck with others. And uh, a few of the problems that we, we come across was, you know, one, they didn't hold up to bone very well. And uh, two, they would always uh, want to pop open your quiver and or, uh, you know, if you were, you know, bouncing around on um, twigs or, or debris or brush, you know, whatever, on a spot and stalk scenario, they'd want to pop open. So we added our spring lock retention system to it. We bulked up all the materials and we overall just wanted to build an expandable broadhead that really held up. Um, we knew we had a lot of work cut out for us and we still do. We're, we're nowhere near where we want to take this thing. We're just getting started really. But um, I feel like we've got a, a pretty good uh, foothold on it and uh, we've got a good product here. You know, we, we wanted to build something that we, truly believed in you know we're bow hunters is what we live to do and we knew that if we could build something we trusted that would be confident putting it out to to the customers well and i, I think that when it comes to broadheads too i i almost feel like the broadhead when it, when it comes to the hunting industry is is almost like politics you have your far <laughs> left that are fixed blade heads till they die then you have the far you know right that's you know i love my mechanical you know feel point accuracy and then you got some of us guys in the middle that are like well i mean i kind of like both i mean and there's different situations that would have both but you know you have those far extremes that we've talked to several different people um that kind of fall suit in either side um but you know with you guys you kind of offer pretty much both sides of the, the the aisle there which is great too yeah, and, and, and Matt, I want you to talk about that modular system just because, again, like having the product in this past year and being able to see what you guys offer really explain to people, like, Demetri, you just hit the nail on the head for someone like us to be able to say, you know what, I want to fix or, you know what, I want a mechanical. So go ahead, Matt, talk a little bit about that uh, specific category of your product. You know, and that's just it. There's, uh, there's, there's like three different categories, as Dimitri explained, of people that, you know, they, they're either swayed really hard one way or the other, or they sit right in the middle where they want to try new things. And um, so we, we, we come up with a modular system. Our expandable broadhead can be shot as a, a fixed or expandable by simply changing out the blades. It is a, a modular ferrule that, I mean, these blades super easily interchange out. So, you know, if you want to um, you know, your white tails here on, in the Midwest with an expandable, like a lot of us do. And then, you know, maybe you're heading on an elk hunt out West where they don't allow expandable broadheads in camp, or you're heading on a bear hunt. And you want to shoot that, uh, that fixed blade for a little better penetration. All you've got to do is switch your blades up. You don't have to buy a whole new pack of broadheads. Um, the blades are sold, um, separately, but, uh, you know, it just, it saves you a little bit of cost. It, it makes it a little more universal, especially some of these guys that are shooting compounds and trad, and, you know, the, the two-blade fix is a really good option for the trad hunters. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to, to kind of make this a universal broadhead that really would just, you know, work for anybody, whether it's a, a family that, you know, they, they've got all kinds of broadheads laying around. They can, you know, pick and choose between one one feral and uh, just switch their blades out for the purpose. Yeah, that's the really neat part about it. Just because I really do like mechanical, I see the benefits. and But I also, after seeing that FX4 at, uh, ATA, I was. I'm telling you, that's the one that I'm really excited to try uh, this year. Just because the one thing that I th- think not only sets your product a, a lot uh, higher than others, um, but is even just like the thickness of your blades. Like that is, I think, a real big difference. Like I was showing Dimitri uh, the XP last night, just when he was over here, just to you know, to mess around with different heads and stuff like that, and. You know, you could really tell the difference just by holding it and seeing it uh, in your hands. Like, obviously, you could go through pictures and, you know, you get a, uh, a grasp of it. You get the gist. But when you actually see it in person, that's when you could really tell, like, oh, these aren't just a, a blade that's just going to bend easily. And actually, Matt, I missed a coyote this past year sending one out at, like, 55 yards i just took a shot in the dark and that thing was buried and when i pulled it out there wasn't blades i could really have reused it if i would have just resharpened sharpened the blades and i just had the replaceable blades already so i just did that but i mean that really just shows you just the you know comfort level and and you know confidence you could have in in that head yeah that that was just our goal with this whole thing was just uh you know bulk up on materials you know it's a it's a 70 75 aluminum ferrule which is aluminum but you know it's the the stronger of uh, a lot of the guys are running 6061 aluminum in their broadhead. So we beefed that up a little bit. We didn't take a lot of, uh, you know, cutouts out of the ferrule, that heavy uh, stainless steel tip and those blades, like you mentioned, they're, you know, a lot thicker than the other guys. They're 39,000 thick. And, um, you know, we, they hold up really well. We, we toyed around with a lot of the different hardnesses on those. We wanted to get a broadhead that would hold a, hold a good edge, 
but at the same time, you know, if it hit bone and it, it would have a little bit of flexibility to where it would bend quite a bit before it actually broke because a bent blade, you know, still cuts, yep. but, um, you know, overall it's just, they're, they're reinforced to hold up. You know, I get pictures all the time through social media and stuff, guys punching deer on the shoulders or, you know, obviously ribs and stuff like that. And these things are coming out the other side, holding up really well, you know, you hit something hard enough, you know, they will break it at the end of the day. I'm not going to, not going to lie to you. It, you know, they're, uh, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're not indestructible <laughs> walls and stuff like that, you know, yep. like some of the times you see, but they, uh, overall for, for being a, uh, replaceable blade broadhead and they're very durable. No doubt about it. Well, you know, let's tie kind of, kind of right now, because we're going to be, when this airs, Matt, this is going to be kind of towards the end of June. People are already putting out their summer cameras, getting into that whitetail mode, figuring out like, you know, heck, maybe some guy or, or girls already, hey, their they're bow's finally in after how many weeks of waiting and getting their arrows dialed and figuring out what their setup is going to be for this upcoming season. Uh, heck, we're in that same boat. So what, you know, where... Explain a little bit, you know, if you want someone going towards that XP and, you know, why maybe did you go ahead and create that FX4? You know, what, where are you leaning towards for yourself even this upcoming season? I've always been a, a big expandable guy. Just I really like, you know, the, the large entrance and, and exit wounds you get out of the expandable. You know, the, the blood trails we're seeing out of these things are, are quite impressive. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for somebody that doesn't want to mess around with resetting the blades and, and you know, stuff like that, the FX4, you know, is a, a great option as well. You know, it's it's a very stout, um, it, the thing's built like a, a rock, really. It, it, uh, it's got an inch and eighth main blade and a three-quarter inch bleeder, and those are the same 39,000 thick blades. Um, actually, last year I had both in my quiver. I had the expandable and the FX4, and I just kind of... I mean, I, I had no favorite. I liked them both, and I killed a deer with both of them last year. Actually, I just would pick one out, and, and that was what I was hunting with that day. Um, but, you know, we kind of designed the FX4 um, for, obviously, people that don't want to mess with, uh, you know, resetting expandables or, or the mechanical function there. But uh, even for, like, the Western hunter, you know, we had a lot of Western guys that said, hey, you know, what about us? What do you guys have to offer for us? And uh, I think it's, you know, it's going to be a really popular head. The internet is blowing up about it already. We just released it the other day, actually, to the public. Um, it's shipping to, to retailers by the day. And the biggest difference you'll notice between the FX4 and our FXD, which is the two-blade on the modular system, is uh, the FX4 has a, a lot less of an angle on the blade. You know, obviously having the four blades as well, but that, that um, lesser angle is going to allow this, this broadhead to penetrate even deeper, which is going to be a big plus for people hunting big game you know, or lower, lower poundages. So I think it's going to be a really just universal broadhead that, that a lot of people are going to get use out of. Awesome. How are you, how are you going about a sharpening that blade specific blade uh, just for curiosity for when I get it or whatever like that? As far as like resharpening. Yep. Um, you know, we don't really, uh, we don't have any, any process for that at the moment. I, I know a lot of guys will touch them up on a stone or something like that. You know, that, something that it's kind of a lot of people probably don't realize is uh these blades actually have two edges on them they have the the big edge that you can see and uh each one of these has a, a different angle but um there's also a secondary relief edge underneath that uh what, what it does is it takes the burr off the, the the big edge and that's where you really get your sharpness is on the small edge you really can't see it unless you're looking ultra close or you're under a microscope or something but to replicate that on a stone is kind of hard to do um so you know that's why we we, we kind of went with the replaceable blade. I, I feel like you're never going to get back to that factory edge. Some of these guys are pretty good at it, but, you know, to, to start fresh, you know, right out of the factory is, is going to be your best cut. Well, that's how I am. I'm not a big tinkerer. So when it comes to broadheads, and I, I've tried the stone and, and trying to sharper, sharpen other broadheads, I would rather just, you know, if I use them, just replace them, get that, that fresh uh, blade on there, and I'd be good to go. I'd rather do that than try to continuously uh try to sharpen and know if i'm doing it correctly because i know i'm probably not as good as some people and i don't want to risk that chance when i'm out there i feel like i make some more dull yeah <laughs> than doing anything well, uh, that's what better. i i saw someone on um i forget who it was instagram and they were they were sharpening they had a fixed broadhead and they're sharpening it and they're like 30 minutes on this bad boy and I'm like, 30 minutes? Like, I mean, not everyone has 30 minutes to sharpen each of their yeah. broadheads. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just that's how life is. Uh, I just don't have the time for that. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I get it. You know, it's kind of uh, 
takes you back to like the, the basics of archery, you know, to, to go through and, you know, flex your own arrows, sharpen your broadheads. It is a cool concept and stuff, but at the same time, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to get away from these things that when they're razor blades straight out of the package. Well, you said too, what I really, right before we got on air, I even said to Dimitri, what I would run would be, I would probably run three FX fours in the quiver and two of the XPs. Uh, that's what I would like to, to run this upcoming season. So, uh, yeah, man, that's what is that you're going to kind of repeat that for this year just to get that FX4 uh, get some bloodshed and, and all that stuff for yourself? Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't really know. I'll probably throw them all in the quiver and just, just grab it. Yeah, just grab and go. I don't know. I, I really like all three of these that we have out right now, and uh, I'm not uh, swayed one way or the other. I mean, they all do their job and they all work great, so it's uh, it's hard to pick. Now, why do you think mechanical broadheads still continue to get a bad rap? Uh, You know, I mean, we've seen that there's some good mechanical broadheads out there, you know, with technology improving. Um, You know, I've I've used them for a long time now, and, you know, several of the different ones I've used have worked really well. I'm I'm more of a mechanical guy myself. I just think they fly good. I like the big entry and exit wounds myself, uh, easy blood trail. So why do you think they get a bad rap? Um, you think that's going to continue or do you think, you know, some of your products are going to really, you know, kind of tone that down a little bit? Yeah, it seemed like for a while there, they definitely have uh, taken a beating and, you know, there's, there's a handful of, of designs out there that you know, are, are more apt to fail and, and have failed, you know, and, and I, there's so many different variables. I think a lot of it, you know, comes down to quality control and, you know, just uh, some of these broadheads are coming out of factories that are pumping out thousands and thousands per day, you know, and they're, uh, they're just not, you know, looking things over really well where, you know, our, our broadheads are all hand assembled one by one, you know, we look everything over, you know, that's a big thing for us. Our tolerances are really tight, you know, and we, uh, we don't have any screws. We just have, you know, the one sliding pin that goes, you know, up and down. And basically the way our design is, is it has to open on impact unless, you know, you get some sort of debris wedged in there or something. I mean, if it hits an animal, four pounds of force is going to deploy that. And, you know, there, there's some designs out there that just aren't that way, unfortunately. And, you know, people get a bad taste in their mouth really quick when they lose an animal, which, you know, nobody wants to do that. As archers, that's our, our goal is to always uh, retrieve every animal we shoot. And, uh, you know, I, I just think uh, there's been, uh, you know, like the other day I seen a, a post on social media where a guy had found um, a competitor's broadhead in the shoulder, uh, a scapula. I think it was a, a, a dead, dead deer they found, you know, it was just skin and bones there or whatever. And, um, it, you know, he got on there and made a big long post about how expandables are junk, you know, I'll never shoot an expandable. But, you know, if you look at the deer biology and you looked at this picture, um, he had the scapula facing the wrong direction or so he thought he made it out to be that this, this broadhead, this expandable broadhead hit the shoulder and did not penetrate through. Well, it's actually, he had the scapula flipped around to where it penetrated through one shoulder and stuck in the offside shoulder. And he just didn't know that it went on, you know, made a, a big argument on social media about it. And, you know, said expandable broadheads are junk and this and that. And it's like, well, you know, for one, you don't know what the hunter setup was. You know, are, are they pulling 50 pounds? You know, are they pulling 70 pounds? Who knows? But uh, there's just so many different variables into it. And, and, you know, back to like we were talking earlier, the broadheads is such a cutthroat thing to where, you know, somebody could have a broadhead that's, you know, their favorite for years and years and years. And the minute they, they wound and lose a deer, regardless of where they hit it, it's it's always the broadhead's fault. You know, it's it's, it's easier to blame the broadhead than actually own up for a poor shot sometimes. <laughs> and, uh I don't know. I mean, there's uh, with mechanical, there's always the chance of, of failure, you know, regardless of what it is. You know, when you got moving parts, that's just, you know, and that's why some guys have uh, switched to the fixed heads. You know, there's nothing to go wrong there. But, you know, I think our design has helped improve some of that. I think, uh, you know, our, our quality control and looking over these and just the, the overall system, a rear deploying blade there. I mean, these things have to open. They're, they're built, so they're going to hold up to bone. And I think uh, hopefully, you know, we can show people that they're, you know, there's still faith to be had in the expandable broadhead. No doubt about it. And talk a little bit about too, Matt, like your, the, the spring activation, like you were saying, like the four pounds of pressure, just how that, I, that there's nothing, not another broadhead on the market that has that kind of attribute to, to it. You know, it's either the O-ring or whatever, like clips, you know, talk a little yep. bit about that spring uh, retention that you have. 
Yeah, yeah, there's not another like it. And that, that's our uh, patented design there. It's, you know, the majority of uh, expandable broadheads, at least rear deploying style, you see they have either an O-ring or a plastic clip mounted on the, the back of the blade. Well, our, our retention lock actually holds from the front of the blade. There's two wings, I guess, that uh, when they hit the animal, that's what deploys and breaks free the, the spring lock. But it's mounted on the front, and uh, it's a, what is it, a 7,000-stick piece of spring steel. So what that does is it, it gives you a little bit of spring action to where you're, when you're bouncing these things around, they will actually partially open and then snap right back closed until they hit. They have, they have to have a frontal impact of four pounds of force to, to break that spring free. It actually breaks right away, and it's a replaceable part. Um, but, you know, the, the neat thing about it is it's rated to 450 feet per second plus, so it's good for your crossbow guys. But we, we've shot these just for, you know, the heck of it in, in out of 30-pound recurves and had them open as well. So it's a, really a unique design that covers the entire spectrum as far as what you're shooting. Um, you know, obviously, expandable broadheads do require a little more uh, kinetic energy to, you know, they, they kill kinetic energy when they open. So we always recommend somebody shooting at least 55 pounds for an expandable. But uh, this system is just really unique, and it's, uh, you know, it's different than anything else out there. The one thing, the one aspect, and I'll say this just because, like I said, I've carried that head in, in my quiver all year round uh, this past year. Even when I had other fixed blades, I kind of had a mosh posh of kind of broadheads in, in the uh, quiver at times sometimes. But the one thing I will say, I never once, you know, I mean, I don't need to, but I'll knock on wood. <laughs> I haven't once had any issues with it deploying, whether it be banging it on, putting it in my arrow from like from the quiver or in the quiver, moving things or, you know, biking it, biking into our spots and all that stuff. I never once had any issues with it. So, I mean, it's a great system and, and I don't see any issues with that moving forward. So that kind of eliminated that for me. Um, but the other aspect too that I, what I really like about your broadheads is that chisel tip. I mean, that sucker is sharp and it's very durable. Like I said, when I shot at that coyote, that sucker drove right into the ground and I pulled it out. Nothing was bent. The blades again were, were fine. Uh, but the ferrule and that tip were as strong as ever. There was no bent action to it whatsoever. Sure. Yeah. That's uh, you know, that was kind of our idea behind that, that big chisel diamond looking tip there is just, uh, you know, there's a, another big debate in the broadhead category of, you know, a, a cut on contact style broadhead or, you know, like a chisel tip, as ours is. And, and our, our theory is that, you know, if you're pulling enough pounds that you're actually going to blow that bone apart when you hit it and, you know, pretty much push it right out of the way versus where a cut on contacts, you know, they're going to try to split it. And uh, so this is going to crush it right out of the way and allow those blades to, to keep cutting through, um, you know, and, and we've tested that over and over again on, on different bone and, and obviously like plywood toss and stuff like that. But it's just, uh, it's a mean, mean, nasty tip. I think, you know, a lot of the weight is at the front of our broadhead too, that those tips weigh about 40 grain, on the uh the fxd and the xp so it's real heavy up front it's real stout and uh those things crush yeah no doubt about it now is it is it pretty easy to um you know change the blades on that xp and then also if it's deployed kind of set those those blades back into the retention system yes it's real simple to change the blades out um Last year, we did have a handful of complaints with the retention system because it is something new. It is something completely different, and it's, it's, it's a small part, you know. So if you've got kind of fat fingers, it's uh, <laughs> it could be a little tricky. Um, so we ended up coming up with a little tool that helps you reset that in. Then we also um, we made one of the – there's you know, it's hard to – without showing you, there's two pegs on that clip, you know, and they, they lock in kind of simultaneously. Well, we extended one of the legs by 25 thousandths, which allows you to put one clip in first, then kind of wiggle it back and put the second one in. So it just it made it a little bit simpler this year. Um, and uh, yeah, it, you know, once you get the hang of it, it's super simple. Obviously, I've done thousands of them. I can do it in my sleep, but it's uh, it's a really simple process once you figure it out. And you know, once you're set, you're you're good to go. Yeah, and you for like even just changing the blades, you just remove that tip, throw it in the blades, and good to go. It's pretty. Yeah, and, you know, the, the FX4 is even simpler than that because the FXD and the XP do have a little pin in there. You know, obviously the pin travels up and down with the expandable. The pin's just kind of there for stability in the FXD on the modular system. But the FX4, there's no pins, no screws, nothing. Those blades just mate together, and the tip holds them in, and that's it. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I'm really excited. So, going into 
you know, what is your setup, you know, from like your arrow setup, just because, you know, going along that mechanical and, uh, you know, fixed debate, you also got that heavier, fast arrow, like which one, like, what is yeah. your, what is your kind of arrow setup? And, you know, and you could even elaborate, like, cause you're mainly hunting either whitetail or you kind of go with some bigger game at times, kind of what is your uh, bread and butter for your arrow setup? Yeah, I run a kind of just a middle of the road setup. I uh, I got a long draw. I'm 29 inch, and uh, I've always shot 70 pounds. Um, but I just run, you know, 100 grain. I don't really put any weight up front. But I'm I'm primarily hunting whitetail as well. And I, I like to shoot flat. And I like to shoot far, um, especially like you know going on trips off the Dakotas and stuff, and where some of these shots are 60 plus yards. So I like to to hold a nice flat trajectory. Um, I know there is a, a big demand for the FOC thing. You know, that's really kicking right now, and you know. For some guys, it makes sense. Um, I think some guys take it a little too far building, you know, seven, 800 grain arrows. But, uh, you know, I, I think I'm a little over 400 grains in my setup. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I never really gotten into the super heavy stuff. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of, like I said, I'm, I think my arrows are a little bit heavier. They're 490-ish um yours are dimitri's are about 60 yeah 460 i mean like you said you're pulling 70 pounds 29 inch draw i'm I'm the little tx t-rex arm guy over here with like a 28 27 and a half inch draw um so i mean but in my setup though they're still screaming they're still um i know like like what a 470 or 480 grain arrow uh when we uh chronoed my bow it was shooting 285 because uh, I'm I'm running the new PSE XF30 and those new S2 cams are really efficient and quick. yeah it's it's quick I've never seen a bow for me shoot that quick like I actually notice it uh, like even when I told Archer Challenge when we shot out past like 100 yards or 80 like you were saying that flat trajectory was still mm-hmm. happening with the, my heavier arrow at 490 whatever it be um, but yeah it's just interesting to just see how. Like you said, things, the FOC demand and what works and what doesn't work. Like, it's just so, it is kind of comical, like, to see what people are putting out there of, like, it's got to be this or it has to be this. Like, I think people are coming down a little bit and just realizing, like, hey, if it works for you and you're able to get that pass through. And, I mean, I get it. There's science behind it. But, I mean, like like you said, Matt, the whole 600 plus, that's just, that's yeah it's it got a little crazy there for a while and you know it's that's just it there's there's so many different variables there's so many different you know ways that people hunt you know they're even their body build you know what what they're pulling and and there's a lot of different ways to look at it but uh you know we we are looking to expand our weight ranges or even look at some uh arrow accessories um components you know to add weight um we've got a whole whole other product lineup that we want to launch at some point we're just uh taking a step by step but there's definitely uh there's definitely a market in the foc thing and you know for for the most part i would say for good reason i don't think yep. everybody needs it but um you know, just your your average whitetail hunter like like me i i don't really see much of a need for it i mean now if i was going to hunt a, a moose or a brown bear in alaska or something yeah i might go a little heavier with my setup but we're uh we're looking in that direction though because there's definitely you know enough guys out there that are interested in it yeah no doubt and i even think about like dimitri's shooting like the eastern access five millimeters i'm shooting them as well he's just running the standard insert in them like that hit insert i kind of like yep. i i kind of like running a half out i know some people have a debate on whether that does anything to their spine and all kinds of stuff but i just like it because of the durability aspect side of things to it i don't know I, from my personal experience i found them to be a little bit more durable than just running yep. that normal hit insert that's just me so i like having a half out so if i'm going to put a 50 grain you know insert into as a hit i'm going to run a 50 grain insert you know, half out basically. Uh, and although Easton doesn't make one, the good news about those 204 diameter arrows, you just run a, uh, black Eagle half out on the five millimeter axis and you're good to go. So that's what I do. And, you know, it gets me to where I need to be and, and gets my arrow to be as durable as I, I personally like it. Yeah. I definitely like the durability factor there and not to mention they just look cool too. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) they definitely do. Well, man, let's, let's dive into, I feel like that's a good, overview and people i'm telling you we're, this wasn't like a sale type of you know informational thing this is just hey yeah i know you're going to be going out there getting 
your setups going for for fall, uh, and I really highly encourage you to to look at Rec Broadheads. One, like multiple factors. One, because of the product, and but two, like you know, not because Matt's on on the podcast currently, and I would say this to anybody, and I've said it to other people behind the closed door. You know, I met you at ATA, good person, talked to you on the phone a couple times, interacting, you were supporting us during our 100-episode uh, giveaway. You know, so good people, and as you heard earlier, like he and his dad, they just see a, something going out there in the industry of, like, hey, there, there's something that we could, have, you know, put a niche on or, or improve upon. Just give them a look, man. I'm telling you, American made uh, doesn't really get much better than that. Uh, and uh, you know, if you something were to happen, then get at me. But I, I really, I really can't speak more highly enough of you, Matt, and and your product. So continue to 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 do what you guys are doing. Uh, so people really give them a look this upcoming upcoming season. But also, Matt, I want to talk about the uh, not only what you got going on in in Michigan and North Dakota, but like what is this upcoming season? looking like for you and we could kind of dive into what you've been doing and and how you're gonna you know lay some more slammers down man this is a this is a weird year for me it's uh the first time I, i've been kind of venting to some of my buddies because normally i'm the guy that's got things planned out eight months in advance I, i've got hotels booked i'm ready to rock you know come come november and this is the first year i can recall in in quite a while that i have nothing other than this <laughs> trip and I just don't know what I'm going to do. You know, we've, we've always had leases down in Iowa and Missouri. And, uh, so normally this time of year, I'm running down with the tractor and the brush mower and I'm doing trails and mineral licks and trail cameras and all this and that. And I just, I haven't found the time to do it this year. Um, I am excited to get to North Dakota. We're going to do the opening two weeks there. And after that, I don't know what's going to happen. So you're I, uh, normal. You're, you're, you're actually yeah. normal is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of stressing me out right now. Yeah. What, what what is it like having a, a lease in Iowa? I mean, we haven't really talked to someone that's done that before. I mean, being out of state, I mean, does it fall under the same rules where you can you still have to buy your points and then eventually cash them in? How does that work in Iowa? Yeah, yeah, it's all on a point system, whether you own land, lease land, or, or hunt public land. It's all on a point straw there. And, and right now, to get down in the good zones, it's taken about five years for a non-resident to get a tag. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we had a pretty killer farm down there in Decatur County down by some of the, uh, the big TV stars and stuff. Um, and it, it's a different world. So I, we're up here in Michigan where we just don't have a lot of big deer. Um, you know, to, to see 120 inch buck in Michigan once a year is kind of a big deal. Well, you go down there and you're seeing one thirties, one forties almost on a daily basis. If you're on a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Then that, that's, uh, well, two years ago was our first year on, on that farm and, and I sat in a tree with my dad, and he uh, he arrowed a 196-inch buck that we had watched all year, just an absolute freak, <laughs> come right up to the tree, I mean, and just pegged him. But it was uh, it, it's just a different world. I, I love it out there. Now, is it tough? I mean, obviously, you're accumulating your points to try to draw that tag, but, I mean, you're obviously, yearly, you're still paying on the lease. I mean, that's got to be pretty painful to be, you know, doing the work and, and having these trail camera pictures of these giant bucks but you you know you can't hunt that year and you're getting these probably massive trail cam photos of these deer yeah so you know a lot of times if i have a farm that uh that we're sitting vacant on i'll i'll sublease it out um we had a, a friend of mine actually hunted the, the iowa farm there last year and he shot uh what did he shoot it was like a mid 160s or something and uh so yeah it, de- it definitely sucks you know not being able to draw down there every year and uh you know that it's you know 700 miles from home makes it tough but uh it, it's worth it when you do draw it it just makes it that much better heck yeah i'll be hopefully i'll be two more years for five so that's that's where i'll be um yep. I, yep. I, I know there's some units where you could potentially do three and uh you hear all that yeah. stuff but man it's everywhere's getting tough we had friends that were pretty almost pretty much almost like a lock for Colorado high mule deer country hunt and they didn't draw it. So it, it point creep and all that type of stuff. It's, it it's is. just, it's, it's different. And it's the same with Kansas. I'm hearing too. A lot of guys, yeah. uh, Kansas is getting super popular and they're not drawn every year like they used to. And that's, you know, you, you always hear about this, uh, hunter decline and there's, you know, less and less hunters, but 
I, I just don't see it. I mean, it's got to be true. The license sales have to be down, but it seems like it's more popular than ever. And, uh, you know, the Internet's really exposed a lot of this and it made it easier for people to get to these places and, and uh, figure things out, which I think is great. You know, the opportunity is there if you want to put the work in. So you, you bring up a great point because this past weekend working the PA Outdoor uh, or Total Archery Challenge, being there, I was working the uh, tether novelty shot and just talking to people. And, man, there was like some young individuals like i'm talking young like us or even younger there was this young kid and i mean he was maybe 20 something and he had the night he had a nice get up he had a shape kafaru shape charge he had a uh hinge two release he had a really nice brand new bow like to the nines and i was like man good shot like he we had a you got in our saddle and you had a shot at 32 yards and if you hit the the center uh uh, uh, orange logo uh, you were in a drawing to win a full setup and I, he he nailed it like I was like hey you ever been in a saddle he's like no I really haven't even been hunting yet I said really, really? and he goes yeah he goes I kind of took up uh, uh, archery in September I'm like wait what <laughs> like you know what I mean like like you said there's all these things out there right now that people are able to go and, and he was just one of maybe a handful of people that are like no nah, I just got into it just recently and like and there it was from bows that were like my dad's like matthew's qz or q whatever it was back in like yep. 15 17 years ago to a guy who was like yeah i'm brand new to it rocking the matthews you know v3x the brand new one and it's so it's just like you said i do think i just don't see it i i really don't i know we talk about it i just think there's I don't know. It's like one of those another like fake news type ordeal. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess numbers don't lie or whatever, but I just, it is, it's popular. Like this area is just pounded. It's, you know, we see it. So I, I don't know. It's it, but it's, it's interesting to know and talk about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's cool to see archery becoming such a popular thing. And, uh, and you know, we're, that, that's kind of the direction we want to take this brand to is, you know, to, to make it, you know, the, the cool hip thing for people, you know, we want to, just keep growing the archery community. We want to get younger kids involved into it, you know, get them away from their video games in the future. And, and, uh, you know, as well as, uh, you know, educating the, the anti hunters about, you know, what we do, you know, we're not out there just running around killing animals to kill them. You know, there's, you know, there's for one, a tradition behind this, you know, there, there's so much more involved in, uh, I think it's a big part of it, you know, because, you know, especially with social media now where people can get on and blast people for anything at any given, you know, second, it's uh, more important than ever for us hunters to really be respectful and, you know, show our kills in an appropriate way, but, you know, also educate people that, um, that don't exactly agree with what we're doing, but, you, uh, it's cool to see it grow. It's, it's funny. Cause I know Dimitri, I'm, you, you don't have this, this issue, but like, even like I'll make certain venison dishes and all that type of stuff. And we, my daughter loves it. And like, that's not the issue. My wife is if I make say venison three days a week, that's when she's like, all right, make something else. You know what I mean? Like she, <laughs> she feels that way, but the other day she sent me like some post she saw online of like a family with, you know, here's what only X amount of money got them for dinner. And she sent me, she's like, you better get all the dough tags you can and <laughs> fill the freezer. And I was like, man, if she's saying that, like, that means, yeah. that means something. So I'm going to, I screenshotted that message. Cause now when, if, when I get home from work in the fall and she's like, you're going out hunting again, I'm going to say, here you go. <laughs> you told me to fill the freezer. So that's, you know, that's going to be my, my backup plan for that. Let's get into let's get into uh north dakota because again we this is back-to-back weeks now we've heard people talk about north dakota i think after these episodes everyone might be yeah i know, buying a tag. I know. so set you, you you said seven years you've been going out there this will be my seventh year this year yep yep okay. and uh been fortunate enough to kill some really nice bucks out there the last few years normally we take a, a small group of us every year we've got a house that we rent and we got permission to do a big farm out there. And, uh, I mean, we've killed a lot of really, really nice deer out there. Nice. Are you mainly hunting that open prairie, kind of open, not a lot of timber? And you know, what kind of exciting, any past stories you'd like to share regarding uh, North Dakota? Yeah, it's uh, it's different for sure. You know, being from Michigan here, we've got a lot of, you know, we're typical Midwest. We've got a lot of ag, um, bigger blocks of timber. And, uh, you know, the first year we drove out there, we jumped out of the truck and uh, we're like, what the heck did we just get ourselves into? Like, there's there's no deer out here. You know, there's not a tree in sight. And, uh, you know, as the week went on, we started figuring things out. And, it, you know, they basically they live in these little cattail saloons around, you know, every pond. There's ponds everywhere. If you look on Google Earth, there's ponds scattered all over the place. And they've all got cattails around them. That's where the deer live. They don't need any trees, you know. 
I, I prefer to get in a tree if I can, just because you know I like being elevated. But a lot of our best setups are in pop-up blinds or you know brushing yourself into some corn or whatever you can do to to get on these deer. And uh, yeah, we've had a lot of luck in the early season. Um, we did do late season one year, which was just insane. We uh, we got out there shortly after Christmas, and uh, they had a big storm. They got like 22 inches of snow. We were snowed into town for two and a half days. Couldn't get out, and we finally made it out to the property. And uh, the landowner had a, a herd of about 300 deer living on, on his farm. They're all yarded up. And uh, he had the only standing cornfield left that time of year. They never got it all off. And, uh, I mean, you would sit there and see legit 300 deer every night. Jeez. Well, my dad and I both ended up killing our deer about 80 yards from his house. So it, it's just uh, that time of year, it gets so cold out there and so much snow. It's just survival for these things, you know, and it it's uh, it's crazy. Wow. You just think too, like, cause I've heard multiple individuals, different individuals talk about like how big some of these deer actually grow to be. And like you said, just the, like, we think like, oh man, it was a hard winter or not a hard winter. Like and what people deal with here in our States, Pennsylvania, Michigan, you yep. think of something open like that, where I'm, I get it. There's food almost everywhere for them, but at the same time, like you said, it's, it's survival of the fittest <laughs> basically. And these, some of these deer are just getting huge out there. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're kind of getting that Canadian strain of whitetail right there, you know, right up on the border, and, uh, you know, they've got a, for one, they lay around in corn and soybean fields all summer and just, just gorge themselves and get fat, but, you know, they, they're all doing that to make it through the winter, and, you know, winter kill is a thing up there. Um, you know, it gets so cold where occasionally you'll see a deer walking around, and they just have these little short, stubby ears on them, and it's because they their ears got so cold and frostbitten that they just froze off, basically. Jeez. Nuts. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different, different world up there, but it makes for some fun hunts. How long since you've been going out there for seven years, how long did it take you to kind of get adjusted to that style of hunting, just going from coming from Michigan to, to out there? You know, I got really lucky on my first trip. I wouldn't say I had it figured out the first year, but I did kill 140 inch 10 point the first year. Um, it took me probably three years to really get an idea and I'm still learning things every year because it, it, the biggest thing out there is the deer change their patterns year to year on crop rotation. You know, they, most of the farmers are rotating corn and soybeans back and forth, you know, every year. So that, that really changes the deer's pattern. And uh, last year we had a severe drought out there where a lot of these cattail sloughs were dried up. So, you know, typical bedding areas were, were not like what they used to be, or deer had more places to bed because things were dried up and it just, every year it's something different. Every year you go out there with a blank slate and just try to learn as much as you can the first week and then uh, hope you can score on the second week. Yeah. It's now, crazy. Are you guys doing any pre-scouting or hanging cameras, uh, making like a summer trip up there, or are you just kind of diving in, you know, later in the that fall when you get up there? Yeah, you know, we always say that it'd be worth it to do a trip, you know, like two weeks beforehand. So on private land in North Dakota, you can bait deer. And uh, so, you know, we always run a mix of corn or, or a big tine and stuff like that and, and run trail cameras. Um, with the, the evolution of cell cameras, things have gotten a lot easier because you know, we don't hunt mornings that time of year. We, uh, we pretty much go check cameras every morning and figure out, you know, where, where a big one started showing up because they're right in that time where they're starting to shed velvet and they're kind of changing their habits up a little bit. They're extending their ranges a little bit, moving to their fall spots, starting to open up scrapes. A lot of things are changing and happening. So if you get a big deer on camera, you might only have them coming in for a couple of days. So you really need to get on them right away. And that's where cell cameras have really helped us out. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just different. It, uh, it, it takes a lot of scouting and that's, you know, I'd like to get out there before, well before season and get things going, but it's just, it's so far away for us. It takes us 17 hours to get up there. So we, we go a week before season and we just run cameras all week and then come opening day, that's, you know, we get a, a solid week of hunting that hopefully we've done our scouting and our homework and it pays off. Yeah. What, uh, so talk about a little bit about since you're kind of, you're all over the place. Like you just said, you're not used to being in this situation before the upcoming season, not having things booked and everything, you know, what, it, what has been your game plan uh, for this upcoming season, say even at home in Michigan or, or some of your other places that you hunt, like, are you, have you been able to get out or since you haven't, what, what are th- some things you're looking forward to, to doing here in the next couple months before the season opens? Yeah, I guess uh, here in Michigan, I, I'm just uh, you know going to be doing the food plots here soon. I just got my soybean field planted the other day, and and uh, I'll do do some fall plots and stuff like that. We don't normally have a lot of big deer to go after in Michigan, so 
you know, last year I had a, a, a good buck to target. And I was actually lucky enough to kill him here in Michigan. Um, but most years I don't have anything that I'm interested in targeting. I like to, in Michigan anyways, I like to get a three-year-old or better. And it's not every year that we get to hunt deer like that. So most of our hunting is out of state. Um, I'm sure I'll come up with something. You know, I've got a, a buddy that, that runs uh, some clients on, on some ground he's got down in Ohio, kind of an outfitted type deal. Um, he's invited me down. Um, I did put in for an Iowa tag. Not sure if I'll get it or not. We'll see. Um, I wanted to go to South Dakota, but apparently I missed the, uh, the deadline for the, uh, the public land application. Um, so I don't really know. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might, might end up in Missouri. I've hunted Missouri a lot the last few years. That's always a, you know, we've got some farms down there and stuff. I like hunting there, but I'm, I'm sure I'll figure something out. I've been hearing a lot of good things about Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one. I, I haven't hunted Indiana yet, but there's some good deer coming out of there and, uh, I'd like to do it one of these years. It's just a matter of diving into it. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the guy that really likes to go over the top with, with scouting and figuring things out before I commit, you know, a, a trip to something. But maybe one of these years I just need to just go for it and uh, figure it out on the fly. On one of those trips, what would you say would be kind of the things that you really key in on, whether it be like, say, like, let's just take it, a, for example, you're out of state, it's going to Missouri, it's that end of October, it's pre kind of that rut. You know, are you hammering on uh, some fresh open scrapes, rubs? What's kind of your your game plan going into that situational hunt? Yeah, you know, I, I really like to, to run cameras all year on a, on a typical year and monitor, you know, and, and take inventory of what deer we're going to go after. And then that's probably my favorite week to hunt is the last week of October there. You know, if you got a good cold front, you know, whether you got food plots planted or whatever, and scrapes are on fire that week. So, you know, normally – when I, when I was young into hunting or, or just get, get started in the out-of-state thing, kind of getting into the, the mature buck hunting, I guess, if you'll call it, um, I always wanted to just dive in my best spots right away and just, you know, go for the kill on day one. And, and now I guess I've matured a little bit. I've killed some big deer in my day, and I just, uh, you know, I've gotten a little more patient with it. So I, uh, I'll just sit back and watch cameras, watch the weather, and when, when you know it's the right day to go in, that's when I go in. And, you know, uh, more times than not, you know, your first – first or second sit in are your best sits. And, you know, if you, you play it smart, you might just see your hit list or right off the bat like that. So I think, uh, you know, scouting more and hunting less is kind of, uh, my, uh, my deal now. Now, what sort of things e-scouting are you looking for with some of these properties that maybe kind of tailor it to more Eastern States? Maybe, you know, I don't know if you've ever, but you've been probably, if you ever hunted Ohio or, you know, similar like big wood situations that maybe you've, um, dealt with, uh, you know, what are you looking for on that e-scouting? Is there certain terrain features or, you know, so before you step foot on there, is there anything that you're kind of keying in on? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a, an Onyx junkie. I, I scroll over that thing. Like, like it's going out of style, you know, when I'm going on a trip and, you know, just trying to find the pinch points and stuff. Um, as far as like Eastern hunting, I, I did used to hunt, um, down in, in Athens, Ohio, a lot in hill country. And man, I could just never figure the hills out if I'm being honest <laughs> with you. So, by no means the great white hunter or anything, you know, I could just never, those hills were just so different to me and just try to narrow them, narrow these deer down. I just, I could never do it. And, uh, that's part of the reason why I, I've taken up hunting in Missouri and Iowa so much is because it's just, you know, it's a lot more, simple to predict where the deer are going to be um but it's uh yeah i mean anywhere anytime you can get on you know those those satellite images and look at topography and you know look at the different saddles or the way things are all running you know you can kind of just draw a generalization of where the deer are going to travel through and and uh you know then then you got to put the boots on the ground and go see if uh the, the satellite image actually matches what's there you know and a good time to do that you know when you're looking for obviously bucks is to you know just get up there in middle october and start looking for scrapes and rubs and seeing you know you can you can get on there and you can kind of tell a you know which direction these deer are traveling where they're you know just by their, their scrapes and their rub lines so that's always a, a telltale sign yeah no doubt about it man that's what uh this just i love these conversations just right now in june just man i, I texted my dad today we we're going over just certain things and i just said you have no idea how fired up I am for about this season. And he's like, oh, I know, <laughs> you know, like, cause I know he, he feels the same way, but you know, you said something about scouting more and hunting less. Uh, and that I honestly want to try to do that a little bit more this year and kind of, kind of sit back and really hone in on things that I'm, I've been learning and 
kind of dissecting a little bit more. Like I feel like Dimitri had like two years ago and since two years ago, I've seen this switch on him. I've seen him kind of hone in his woodsmanship and, and really become a, a really solid hunter. And like even last year, there was an opportunity early on in the season. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast, but like he got in, we lo- he looked on, on the map, got in there, wasn't really what we wanted to, but there was, we knew it was going to be a good area. You scouted more, you found the sign that you wanted, you had an opportunity and obviously we just didn't, you didn't recover, but like you put things together. And then this year, like I've, I've made a goal of, of saying to myself, like, Hey, I don't want to use time just to say, Oh, because it's a cold front. You know what I mean? I want to put more boots on the ground. I want to be able to I don't want to say rely on cameras because I'm not relying on cameras, but you know, if I haven't had a hit in a few days, I don't maybe want to go in there and kind of Matt, what what you said earlier, if, if the big guy's not in there or moving or instead of blowing up one of my quote unquote bigger spots that I know later down the line, end of October rut where deer are going to be, or a big buck's going to be, I'll, I'll go somewhere else to either one blow up or two, try to shoot a doe. As long as I'm in that unit, that's my goal for this year kind of moving forward so like matt what's your goal for this upcoming uh season yeah that, that's always the the hardest thing is just to, to be patient you know especially if you only got so many days in the you know whether you're on vacation you've got a week to do it or two weeks to do it and you know, whatever it is it's it's hard to to hunt less and scout more but you know sometimes it just pays off because a, a pressured deer is the hardest deer to kill mm-hmm. but you know my, my goal is always just to, to kill the the I guess like the top 10% of deer in the area, you know, and it kind of changes from state to state. You know, if we're in Iowa, we're trying to kill five-year-olds or better, you know, and if we're, we're in Missouri, typically it's like a four-year-old, like I mentioned here in Michigan, you know, three-year-olds, we, we go by age a lot. Um, obviously we like to get a, a big set of antlers too. So that always gets a, a priority, but you know, we, uh, we try to target the, the, the higher end deer, you know, so at some point when I, I do find some free time here and decide what, what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to, you know, get some cameras running, you know, probably, uh, like I said, I'll probably end up down in Missouri, get some cameras going down there and, and just kind of build a list of the deer we want to go after. And then, then from there, just build a game plan around it. And, uh, I, I've really the last couple of years got into chasing just one or two deer all year, you know, obviously if a 170 inch buck comes strolling through, I'm not going to pass him up because he's not, <laughs> not my number one or whatever, but I, I really like the one-on-one battle with an individual deer. Nice. Now, is there anything that maybe you struggled with that maybe it was last year or the last couple of years that, um, you know, you've kind of changed your strategy or, you know, um, might try to do something different this year? You know, I, I'm kind of thinking about taking up the, the saddle thing here. I, uh, I, I always thought they were the, the craziest thing ever. I'm like, you know, I'm never, you know, the more I think about it, there's just so many times where that is going to come into handy, especially like on these North Dakota trips where, you know, for one, the trees are either non-existent at all, or if you find a tree and it's in the right spot, you sure as heck can't get a, a hang on into it. So really the saddle's the only option. And then out there, you know, you're, you're hiking in you know, a mile and a half to your set, who wants to carry a setup all the way back in there just to find out the spot sucks, you know? So it's really just a convenient way. I think I'm going to, you know, test those out a little bit. I might just use it as a tool to, to, to dive in and and sit one or two times. And if I really like the spot and I'm able to get a hang on in there, then, you know, move a more permanent setup in, I think it's going to be a great scouting tool. Um, But, you know, really just like I mentioned, you know, the last couple of years, I've just, as a hunter, I've changed. I'm just more patient. And I just kind of wait things out for the, the good days. And I just, uh, I'm able to go in and hunt deer. And, and a lot of times we see them in the first couple of sits, which has been pretty cool. Cause, uh, as I mentioned in the past, I would, I would just dive in and hunt hard. You know, I gotta be out there more, the more I'm out there, the better chance I've got. And, and reality is it's just not that way. Yep. Well, I know I, I was that person. I'll admit it. <laughs> I mean, when Jeremy brought that saddle up to my house the first day and I, jumped in it and we were only like two feet off the ground and i swung around the tree one time one time you're like i'm out i'm like this this is not for me and i i thought i i said the same thing i thought this was the craziest thing you know why why are people using this and uh you know i i used my climber the the the, that year and you know the next year i kind of looked into it a little bit more and you know you using it a little bit I've, i've i saw a little bit more and 
and I was like, man, maybe I could give this thing, you know, I, I kind of got sick of just carrying that stand on my back and, and, you know, and having your backpack on too and all that gear. And, and then I kind of was interested in it more. And then I got, I pulled the plug and, you know, got one. And the more I practiced and man, this year, man, I, I could yeah, wait I till could, this year. I could never go back just because, you know, the, being, guys yeah, being mobile, you know, be, and I was a climber guy. I never really hunted set stands, so I always had a climber. I was always moving around. So I was mobile in that aspect, but I was limited to what tree I could get in, you know, just because you have to have that certain tree. And, you know, sometimes that, you know, costs you, right? And then you also don't have that kind of that that cover uh, behind you or, you know, you can't get in that uh, right position. So, you know, that really changed of, you know, having the sticks and, and being able to get into that better tree or, you know, making sure you're near that trail or that scrape and you have a clear shot. And it, it really, really changed it for me. Yep. Yeah. I couldn't tell you how many times I've sat there just, you know, looking up in, in the sky at these trees, just trying to figure out like, okay, this, this is the spot I've got to be in, but there just isn't a tree here to get a, a hang on. And I think that's going to really help eliminate some of that. And I think, you know, from what I gather from a lot of people is it's, you know, not something you want to dive into your first hunt and just go out and sit in a saddle and hunt. I think, you know, there's gonna be some off season practice comes along with that. So a little later this summer, I'm, I'm hopefully going to pick one up and, uh, start practicing out of it, but I definitely see it as a valuable tool. We'll talk, man. We'll, we'll definitely talk. Well, before we get off, Matt, I want to do like a little quick rapid fire. I'm, I'm a gear junkie at heart. I love, I love just stuff like even bef- baseball playing days. I love gloves. I love everything. So obviously going here tradition, uh, with, with archery and hunting stuff, uh, what's your, what's your bow set up? What, what bow are you running for this year? Matthews V3. Okay, Matthews V3, 70 pounds, like you said, 29-inch draw. Yep. What, what's your uh, kind of, what's your go-to clothing system? Um, rocking the Badlands system right now. I've got, uh, you know, their their uh, Rise um, set up for kind of mid-season, early season, and then uh, the Pyre stuff for, for the late-season hunts. I've always, uh, always liked the company and been rocking the Badlands for a few years now. Sweet, man. Uh, boots. Boots. Um, you know, I found this set of boots from Cabela's. They're Cabela's brand that I, I really like. And I've got like three pairs of them now just I like them so much. I'm afraid they're going to stop making them. <laughs> so uh, they're just like a 400-gram hiking boot, basically. Yep. I like it. Pack. Uh, Badlands Pack. I got um, kind of one of their fanny packs, the monster pack. And I've got the big, uh, I think it's Diablo Dose, kind of the bigger that I'm able to pack stuff in with. Nice. Two more favorite piece of gear that you own. It could be as little as like your whatever screw in bow hanger. It could be your jacket, backpack, whatever. It could even be something you already said. What is your favorite piece of gear? I'm I'm kind of putting this one on a T for you. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go basic with the binoculars. Oh, I was gonna say, give me that wreck broadhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could throw that plug in there, yeah. but I just if I go in the woods without my binoculars, I feel like I'm. I'm going okay. to go back to house. I've got to have them. Well, t- actually, two minutes or as long as you want. Like, because, you know, growing up for, for me, binos weren't really into whitetail woods. It was like, you know, archery, I w- nothing <laughs> really. I mean, like, guess my dad would have ribbons on the 20, 30 yard trees. And if it was past that, you're not shooting, Jer. And uh-huh. then it was the scope. <laughs> like, those were that, that scope was my binocular. And then it was until. You know, obviously, as I got older and you saw that and but like growing up, it really wasn't like that's a good, good tidbit that you threw in there with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel naked if I don't have my binoculars in the woods. So <laughs> yeah. they, they go with me everywhere. What size are you running? They're just 10 by 42s. So nice. nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. Just kind of light. And I'm able to do, just do a lot of scanning with them. You know, most of the spots I hunt are in the timber. So you going Vortex, Leopold or Bushnell? Uh, Vortex. But I actually think I'm going to I'm going to switch over. Give me a pair of loopholes this year. OK. Very nice. Very nice, man. Last one. Dimitri got it. So if you could only hunt one day out of the year, what day would that be? Oof. This has changed in the last couple of years. In the past, (laughs) I would probably say November 7th, but I think now I'm an October 31st kind of guy. Wow. Halloween. Yep. Halloween. My my birthday is actually October 30th, so it's the day before Halloween. So my my goal before I die has to be that I kill a buck on my birthday. So, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. it, 
it's always been either I've had school or, you know, it's a Sunday and you can't hunt on Sundays in Pennsylvania. This last year was actually on a Saturday. It was the first year. And then we, we had like rain all day. So yeah, go figure, <laughs> yeah. go figure for us, man. Yeah, I forgot you guys can't hunt on Sunday out there. Uh, it's That's crazy. Well, there's, well now it's, it, we can, there's three Sundays. There's one Sunday in archery, one Sunday in bear, bear. rifle season and one Sunday in uh, rifle. deer rifle season that we can hunt. So it okay. I th- it's coming. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. 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 I'm, ho- I'm hoping within the next five years. I really do. I really do. Well, Matt, I appreciate you, man, coming on tonight. Uh, where can people find you with rec broadheads and, and all that jazz social media, your, your website tag, all that. And obviously, you know, if anybody wants to follow you on your personal page, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, check us out, uh, www.recbroadheads.com or on Instagram or rec underscore broadheads. And Facebook, I think, is just rec broadheads, and that's spelled R-E-K. And uh, I'm on Instagram as matt.taggett, T-A-G-G-E-T. And uh, on both both spots, we're always posting all kinds of hunting pictures and videos and stuff. And, you know, that's our life, so it's, uh, it's always cool to follow along. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, again, for tuning in this week. Uh, Definitely check out Rec Broadheads. I'm telling you guys, you're not going to be disappointed with them. So definitely give them a look. And uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Antler up. That's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our Go Wild pages. Thank you again, everybody, for all the continued support. See you next week. Antler Up.